Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Alright, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we're talking about Ty West's A24 film, X, which is a absolute blast, and uh, I'm really excited to talk about it. Joining me today is filmmaker Paul Hibbard, uh, his first time here on the show. We have a great conversation coming up, getting into... Some of the obvious ones, which I think everybody knew we would end up talking about if we ever did an episode, and a few uh, kind of out there pieces as well. So a lot of good stuff coming up in this conversation. Before we get to it, though, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us wherever you're listening right now, or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, Pocket Casts. Good pods, all the big podcast apps. And wherever you're listening, if there happens to be a five star button, hit that five star button. We'd appreciate that. Uh, you can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. Also, where I met Paul. So uh, join the group, chat movies with us, and then maybe join me for an episode one of these days. Uh, also, don't forget about our Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content uh, from Piecing It Together, from Awesome Movie Year, and from my music career. Lots of great stuff there, including this episode, because I'm about to post it as soon as I finish this whole spiel and export it. Uh, it'll be up on the Patreon first before it ever hits the main Piecing It Together feed. So check out the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, or maybe you're already listening on there. And if you are, I thank you. So, with that, let's talk about X. All right, so this should be a fun one. We're talking about Ty West's X, and joining me is Paul Hibbard. Paul, how's it going? Great. How are you doing, Dave? I'm, I'm great. I'm uh, packing in the podcast this week. I, I'm covering so many movies, I don't even know where I'm going to schedule it all, but... Uh, there's a lot of good movies coming out, and I'm excited to talk about this one. This is one of the good ones, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. Before we get to it, though, it is your first time on the show. We've we've been in touch in our Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces group a whole bunch and all that, but I, I'm happy to finally have you here. Why don't you tell our listeners a little about you and what you do? Sure. I am. Uh, my name is Paul Hibbard. I am a filmmaker primarily. Um, we just finished a, uh, movie, a little home invasion slasher movie called Some Visitors that just got sent out to the first batch of film festivals. Like we just sent it out. So we are about ready to start the exciting festival run with that. And we're pretty, um, excited. I'm sending it to festivals. I've never thought I've had a shot with in the past that I've never even tried for before. So I'm uh, pretty excited about that. 
Um, nice, and I am nice. a film critic also. I, I write for a site called zekefilm.org, and I've done that off and on for about 10 years. And yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very excited uh, with my own film work to uh, get back out there into the festival world after the last couple of years that we've had and not being able to actually go in person and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure that you guys are uh, super excited about getting that film out there. Yeah, this is one that I'm actually going to travel with, too. Um, I've had films play at festivals, but I've just never um, felt the need to travel to some of these festivals. But this one, I'm really uh, mm-hmm. excited to go some places and show it off to people. Awesome. So with this movie X, I mean, I know you're a horror fan. I, is Ty West uh, uh, somebody who you have been like really following? Uh, was this a movie you had been really looking forward to? Yes, definitely. Uh, Ty West, I uh, love. Uh, he came out with House of the Devil, which came out, um, I believe that was 07, 08. It was sometime in the late aughts. And um, yeah. when he came out uh, with that film, it was this godsend, in my opinion, to American horror at the time. Because the aughts, especially the late um, time of that decade, was a pretty bad period. Um, a lot of horror nuts like myself were relying on more international horror movies and what uh, Europe was mm-hmm. doing at the time. America was kind of stuck in the rut of like Saw and Hostel sequels. And then they're kind of going through the sure. CW remakes. And um, when he came out with that movie, um, it just felt like this, this blessing <laughs> from America to show <laughs> other countries that we could still make uh, great horror. And sure. I remember... When it came out, I, I thought he was it. I mean, I thought he was the future of um, of horror, and I thought he was going to kind of leapfrog um, Eli Roth and people like that. And then he um, has kind of fallen in obscurity. Each movie after that, which were still pretty good, was kind of like a step down, and they weren't getting as much of a release. And then he just kind of disappeared. And I thought sure, he was done, yeah. and it became like this mystery in the horror world where this guy went and also why he didn't become um, who we thought he was going to become. And then with um, uh, this movie X, it was like not only like kind of positioned as his return, but it was also his biggest step. Um, He was getting a a release even bigger than House of the Devil. So it's, I mean, yeah, I was incredibly excited about it. Yeah, and it's interesting to go from that kind of movie, like what the House of the Devil was, uh, which I haven't seen since back when it first came out, but I remember really liking it too. And uh, but I don't know that X is the direction I would have expected him to go as a horror filmmaker. It's like a you know slasher is kind of horror adjacent in its own kind of lane in a way, and so it's not exactly what I would have expected him to do. But he's clearly having so much fun doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I have this not to like um, place intention on him, but I have this um, at least made up. Uh, theory of what he did with this movie is the whole point is he wanted to come back with this movie because minimalistic horror, or um, if you want to call it like heightened horror or uh, whatever term that people want to use for Don't it. Don't say elevated. <laughs> I try not to, I try, not, I try to say any word but that. Yeah. I like to say minimalistic horror yeah. um, has kind of been doing its thing, which is great. I mean, some of those movies are great, but then some of them I kind of I feel like are almost like becoming a parody of each other uh, of themselves, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. And then you kind of like have this movement of like um, maximalist horror. And I think malignant is a good example of that, which is mm-hmm. equally great. Um, both, both forms of horror are excellent, 
And I think he came back and did this movie that was sort of a mix between the two of them, where it yeah. kind of like had that minimalistic style, but then when it exploded, it kind of went maximalistic. But he's also doing what he's always done to an extent. I mean, it is kind of a, a swerve, like what you're saying, but I also feel like it, it, it feels like a, a Ty West movie. And I had this like feeling that he came in, he was like, well, I'm going to show you all how this is done and mm-hmm. I'm gonna, um, make my own uh film and make a film that I was making before, even before, I'll go ahead and say it, even before Elevated Horror uh, yeah. was, was around. Like he was the Elevated Horror filmmaker before Elevated Horror was a thing. Yeah. And- I, I almost wonder also like how much of it, and again, like, like you say, you don't want to like kind of put intention on him, but like, I almost wonder how much of it was like, okay, I'm making this movie with a 24 mm-hmm. and I can't just do the quote unquote elevated horror thing and fall into being and a quote unquote, again, a 24 horror movie. It's gotta mm-hmm. be its own thing. If I'm going to do this. Yeah. And it was his own thing. And it was very, you know, to Ty West, like, like a movie, for example, I haven't even seen yet is lamb. Cause I hear mm. it's good. Have you seen the lamb? I have. Yeah. It, 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 it's it, good. Okay. I, I, I enjoy it a lot. It's also, uh, I don't think this is a spoiler to say, but it's not a horror movie like okay. at all. Yeah. And it gets lumped in because it's creepy and weird, but it's not a horror movie. Okay. When I saw the trailer for that, um, I felt like it was like the logical conclusion of, of this elevated horror movement. <laughs> sure. And that, I mean, even if it's good, let's just uh, make that the final step and let's just kind of start doing our own things, which is one thing I loved about uh, Malignant is I felt like that was an answer to elevated horror. But I also yeah. feel like um, what Wes is doing, like, like we're saying, is sort of like bringing bringing it to the next step of where it needs to go, where it doesn't need to quite be as pretentious as um, Mm. some of these films may uh, appear to be. Because once you get past The Witch and great directors like Robert Eggers, you're going to start getting into like B and C directors who are essentially doing impressions of those guys. And Yeah, yeah, uh, it has to happen. Yeah, and I feel like what you're saying that uh, Wes is kind of evolving um, that style before it gets to that place, hopefully. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, we'll get into a whole lot more uh, about this as we're going through puzzle pieces. So let's start jumping in. Uh, what do you have for your first puzzle piece? Uh, the first one, I'm going to say it's the obvious one. But what's um, interesting about the movie is is I feel like it does it isn't as influenced as the poster and the trailers make it appear to be. And that's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which sure. even from the uh, poster, it, it's evoking it because the poster to um, X is uh women's legs crossed to make the x signal and it's through the angle that's essentially the same as the angle the famous angle in texas chainsaw massacre with the girl walking to the house um from the the down low angle um and as i watched it i think i expected it to be much more of a texas chainsaw massacre um, not rip off but much more much more influenced by texas chainsaw massacre but then as i watched it i kind of like realized that it's really just sort of the aesthetics of what he was doing was Mm -hmm. influenced and a lot of the other stuff he was doing was influenced by other movies that i wasn't even expecting so you know a lot of the pieces that i put together that we're going to talk about here i was seeing them as i was watching them and they were like pleasant surprises because i wasn't expecting those at all i was expecting a lot of texas chainsaw massacre and um you know from the, the the van to the layout and the way that the house looked and the setting um it even kind of had that that feel that Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of grimy heat feel to it. Sure. That's where it came in. But um, 
besides that, I think that he then just kind of went off in his own direction and did his own Yeah, thing. I I think so too. And and yeah, Texas Chainsaw is of course, you know, first on my list as well. And like you have to bring it up when talking about this movie. It's meant to evoke that feeling. And I actually did uh listen to an interview with him on uh the big picture and he was talking about how like part of what he hoped to do because he knew that the comparisons were going to be made was just to like not completely take from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but to let the audience know, Hey, I know, like, Mm -hmm. I I know that you think this. And so there's gotta be some little references and visual cues and things like that. And yeah, I mean the, the van, the the gas station in the beginning, the way the house is laid out there, there's so many little things. uh, I I think definitely that that's the one you kind of have to start with. Um, I'll go for my first piece though, which is the other ultra obvious one. I think you could very easily uh, describe this movie as Texas Chainsaw Massacre meets Boogie Nights. Um, Mm -hmm. And so Boogie Nights is my first piece. Paul Thomas Anderson's film set in the world of porno and filming a porno is a big part of this movie X. This uh, group of young people have gone out to this house in the middle of nowhere to film an adult film and... uh, this not only gets into some of the like kind of classic porn actor archetypes kind of in a similar way that Boogie Nights does, uh, but also kind of lets you in behind the scenes of what that is like, of what filmmaking is like, and kind of lifts the veil of like, you know, the kind of things that go into creating a crew and the way that the actors kind of interact when the cameras aren't rolling, when they are rolling, and uh, what the intentions are of the filmmakers. And so it, it really gets you into that filmmaking mindset. And I think that's a big kind of drive for why he made this story. It, it, there's all kinds of things that, that along with just that basic premise, um, even the movie starts with Mia Goth looking into the mirror, telling herself she's good enough, which is yes, basically, how, basically how Boogie Nights <laughs> ends. And then there's all kinds of stuff on the way. Uh, one thing that I really noticed w- with uh, the Boogie Nights comparison is this takes place in 1979. And in the Boogie Nights, the uh, New Year's Eve um, party where William H. Macy blows his head off, uh, that takes place in 1979 also. And they're both right, right. addressing the future of, um, of pornography. And mm. in Boogie Nights, they have that meeting uh, with Philip Baker Hall and Burt Reynolds where um, Burt Reynolds is hesitant to go to, to, go to uh, VHS. He wants to stay in the theaters and on film. And uh, they have that whole conversation. And that conversation is in X also, where in this case, they're right. more embracing of the, the future. It's the of, opposite. Like, yeah. yeah. And then another thing is they both have, have these aspirations of making porn better movies uh, more important. Mm-hmm. Because in Boogie Nights, um, you know, both Burt Reynolds and Mark Wahlberg have this dream about people like being entertained. And, and Burt Reynolds talks about how he wants people to sit in the theater after they masturbate and watch the rest of the movie because they want to see how it ends. And in sure. this movie, you have the director who is being really pretentious and trying to make an avant-garde movie and um yeah no so boogie nights boogie nights was huge like i I was like when i was watching i was like this is really influenced by boogie nights way more than i was expecting for sure yeah absolutely you know you know not about boogie nights specifically but back to your first puzzle piece i was also thinking about the i mean part of it has to do with that transition to vhs tapes for sure but i was also wondering the 1979 setting if he wanted it to be where, oh, these people may be aware of Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it already exists in the world, as it not being like the earlier 70s or something before that. And knowing that 
the the idea is in the air of a house full of creepy people that are going to murder the hell out of me if I go in there, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I definitely <laughs> agree with that. Um, so what do you got for your next piece? Okay, next one is a pretty obvious one also, and that is Psycho. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like Psycho might actually, in terms of horror, might actually be the one that's more influenced uh, with the story than Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just the um, idea that there's this massive house overlooking a, a smaller place where people are staying and the, and the old person in the massive house who is played by a young person is killing the people in the, in the smaller place that's, that's there. And sure. I don't know why, maybe you heard about the interview, but I don't know why uh, Ty West, I, I like the decision, but I don't know why he had Mia Goth play the older woman also. And mm -hmm. one of my ideas is that he is nodding to, towards Psycho, but also trying to get that kind of visual cue of somebody younger playing an older person. And in Psycho, it's literally a younger character playing an older person with Norman playing his mother. But in this case, yeah. it's a younger actor playing an older person. But when you see the older woman, she looks off. She looks kind of more dangerous than an actual older actress might look. And right. I really wondered while watching if he was trying to get some sort of like symmetry to Psycho with, with that decision. Right. And I'm not sure. I, he did not specifically talk about the whys of that. I don't know if maybe he's trying to let uh, that kind of l let us marinate on it a little bit first before really like talking about it. He only talked about the fact that uh, Mia Goth was just so on board with the idea of doing that and just mm -hmm. how excited she was. And then um, I didn't actually get to stay through the end of the credits. The uh, the, the cleanup crew kind of kicked us out. But, uh, you know, there was a trailer for the the prequel that <laughs> he shot at the same time. Yeah, I did not stay either. It wasn't until I got home and I saw on social media that I I should have stayed. And when the movie, yeah. when, when the credits started, my friend and I, we were like, there's not going to be anything at the end of this. This, right. is, this isn't that type of movie. And yeah. apparently there was. Yeah, I, I had read beforehand that there was, and I was all prepared to sit there. I, I was waiting and waiting, and all of a sudden the cleanup crew came in and turned the lights on. I was like, what are you guys doing, man? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one more thing about Psycho also. Well, actually, they, they reference Psycho in the movie. Um, mm -hmm. But also on top of that, the part with the car half submerged in the water is completely out of Psycho. Oh, um, sure. And, and it's my, that's my favorite part of Psycho because that's like one of the times you see Norman as mother dressed as Norman when he's trying to get that car down in the water. So it's one of my favorite shots in Psycho and they reference it in here too, which I loved. That's awesome. Yeah, Psycho's been coming up a lot on this show lately. I mean, you know, Hitchcock, of course, so so influential, so it's not really a big surprise. Uh, but I'll go to my next piece, and um, this kind of stays in line with some of what I was talking about with Boogie Nights, with the uh, the the idea of kind of showing the behind the scenes of the uh, the filmmaking. It, there's been a lot that's been talked about with this movie X about how it kind of is showing this intersection with horror and porn, and how they're both these outsider types of uh film where the filmmakers have to be very entrepreneurial and creative and very diy and and working without the uh assistance of the system and i thought of dolomite is my name where we see uh eddie murphy's rudy ray moore uh trying to pull together this 
like weird ragtag crew of people to put together a black exploitation style movie at the time. And uh, that is another style of movie where they really did not get a lot of uh, support from, you know, any kind of system and had to kind of just figure everything out themselves and really have that do it yourself spirit. And it, it shows through in, in what this crew of filmmakers in the movie is doing. And I think kind of probably speaks back to what a lot of horror filmmakers go through as they're starting out, even though in here it's porn. Mm-hmm. That, that's interesting. I mean, even with the take place in the seventies and everything, now that I think of it, I think back to that movie, that look is kind of throughout uh, like, like, like the filming, the behind the scenes parts of, of shooting the porn. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, excellent. Uh, my next is I'm going to go with David Cronenberg's Rabbit. Nice. Um, which is the, the the plot itself doesn't really apply, but it's more the um, the uh, messaging I think that Cronenberg's going for. So in Rabbit, you have um, you have the uh, the character gets in a car accident and she has a this parasite turns her into a sort of like a vampiric figure. And then she creates an epidemic and she shoots this thing out of her armpit into her victims. But the, when she does it, it's usually involved in a sexual act, and she's finding um, kind of like these like repressed people, and she's, she, she's, she's getting close to them, and she's trying to get the, 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 the infection inside of them. But the mm. way that Cronenberg is obviously doing it is it looks like they're having sex. It looks like they're having an orgasm when it comes together. And the victims then turn into these vampires, and the way that it appears is that the sexual act has awoken something inside of them that has turned mm-hmm. them uh, violent. And I think that's exactly what Cronenberg was going for. He, 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 was, he was like playing into the kind of conservative idea of the 70s about um, uh, sexual freedom could be addictive if we don't s- suppress it. Slippery and, slope. Yeah. And I feel <laughs> like Ty West was getting that too, like, like the, the old woman something about the sexuality, something about looking through the window and watching them having sex, then awoken something really violent inside of her. And I I thought of that movie while watching it. I like that. That's awesome. That's a great piece. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I, there's a lot going on that, um, I got to admit, I'm not a hundred percent what Ty West's like ultimate goal is with the the storyline of these old people and the uh, repressed like sexuality and like n- the story of them, uh, especially Pearl, uh, wanting that connection and, you know, old people still have sex and, you know, it's kind yeah. of, it's, it's kind of a taboo subject. Um, and what exactly the exploration is. I mean, not, I mean, this is just my theory. I, I don't know if this was intention, but one thing I picked up is I um, took it as, a film that was much more about porn than it appeared to be. Instead of it just being a story on the periphery, I think the movie was a lot more about pornography. Mm-hmm. And, um, you, you know, I think pornography is a subject in, in political terms that's kind of like hard to necessarily address because I think in some way it's accepted that it's it, that, that pornography can make men more violent and it can make repressed people who don't know how to handle it um, more violent. But there's also like this third way feminism idea that um, it represents sexual freedom and it represents empowerment. And what I liked about this movie is it kind of represented both sides, how there was this sort of like symbiotic relationship between the creator and the consumer and Mm -hmm. how it can be something that for the enlightened, it can be more empowering to them. And because I I believe that the the filmmakers and the actors and everything, they are all very healthy in their views of 
sexuality, especially for 1979. Yeah. Um, and then the repressed older people who see it and they don't know how to process it the same way. I think it creates sort of like a violent reaction from them. Sure. So, so yeah. that was one thing that, that I took the, is that pornography can be something that that's empowering and also it could be possibly dangerous. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that's definitely uh, a good explanation of where things are going uh, with the point of all this. But um, mm. I'm going to go to another piece, which is probably not really an inspiration here, but I wanted to bring it up. Um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty scared of old people. Uh, th- that's <laughs> like a thing about me. Okay. And that all stems back to a trauma film from either 1989 or 1991. There's two different uh, dates listed. I'm not sure which it is. Uh, it's called Dead Dudes in the House, aka The House on Tombstone Hill. Have you ever seen this? I have never heard of this. <laughs> okay. No, I, I've never heard anybody talk about this movie. I don't know why I saw this movie, but I was, I guess, too young. Although I think the only reason I saw it was because I already loved Evil Dead, so I couldn't have been that young. I was already watching the Evil Dead movies. And somehow or other, one of my parents, like, heard that this is supposed to be another funny, you know, ridiculous, over-the-top horror movie like The Evil Dead and and got it for me. And I honestly give this movie a lot of credit for my personality going dark because of all of the sleepless nights that it just ruins my brain because I couldn't sleep for weeks and weeks and weeks after watching it. In retrospect, it's probably a funny movie. You know, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. trauma. You know, it's probably meant to be funny. It probably is funny. One of these days, I'm going to force myself to rewatch it. Anyone out there who has seen it, get in touch with me. I'd love to hear what you think of it. Uh, Should I uh, face my fears and actually go back and watch this stupid movie? But in (laughs) it, a group of uh, young people go to this mansion to go, like, clean it up. And one of them uh, pisses on a gravestone, which awakens the dead old lady who comes out and systematically murders all of the young people and sounds ridiculous, sounds fun, scared the shit out of me. And so just the idea of murderous old people made me think maybe it's in his uh, wheelhouse. Maybe it's something that he's seen at some point that planted the idea a little bit. Sounds awesome. Sounds like trauma. (laughs) So I got to rewatch it one day. I got to make myself. I got to check this out because old people are scary and that will lead to my next uh, one, which is The Shining, Um, which (laughs) there is a direct reference in The Shining when Jenna Ortega is trying to ax the door down and she reaches through. Yeah. So that direct reference is in there. But also part of me thinks that maybe Ty West, when he watched The Shining, he saw the part where the ghost lady in room 237 turns into old ghost lady mm-hmm. and starts to become aggressive towards uh, Jack Nicholson. And he wanted to make a whole movie about that woman. Fair <laughs> so, enough. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the shining was one I was really thinking of too. And it's a good, uh, good way to bounce off yours. Cause I do think the, uh, I mean, that old lady is terrifying The Shining, but she's really only in it for that one part. And there is like a a part of me when I watch it where I'm like, you know, that woman, she could be a whole movie. That that, that, that ghost, old ghost lady could be a whole film. And that's kind of what Ty West did here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's funny. And uh, yeah, let's let's get that character and just go wild with it and just have it just killing people and just stabbing people in the neck. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Uh, I'll go, uh, I have one more piece here and, um, this one also 
maybe too new to actually be an influence. I'm not sure exactly when uh, Ty West started writing X and developing it, uh, but I thought of uh, last year's Censor from Prano Bailey Bonds, um, mm-hmm. an interesting movie that kind of takes place in the world of the video nasties uh, in the 80s and mm-hmm. all of like the kind of fringe horror filmmaking. And again, you know, the the world of that do-it-yourself indie like beyond indie really just like totally do it yourself uh horror filmmaking and the way that it um intersects with these porn filmmakers it, they both kind of deal with the same kind of crews the same kind of limitations on making a movie and uh both you know go towards uh you know things going bad and and people dying and i'd imagine you know uh ty west has said that if this does well and then they you know release pearl he would love to make a sequel he's already got the prequel in the can he'd love to make a sequel if if things work out i could totally picture we're going to find out exactly what's on that film reel at the end it might not just be porn so you know i guess we'll find out and that would kind of also tied in with that whole video nasty, like what is real, what isn't real in the, oh, the film awesome. within the film. So, Oh, that's great. That, that one's awesome. I, I didn't think about that one. And I love Censor too. Censor was it's really good. I think it's my favorite horror movie of last year. I love that movie. Nice. Uh, this one is kind of, it's not really an obscure movie, but it's an obscure grab at this. Um, and it's one that I'm probably stretching a little bit, but I also think that I'm not stretching it as much as it might sound at first. And um, Ty West, he does a bunch of, interesting editing choices in this movie. He does like wipes across the screen. He does split screen. Um, And one thing that he does that I love is he kind of does this um, sort of like flickering transition where it goes to um, a concurrent scene and it'll bounce back forth. So it'll be on one scene and then it'll go to the next scene for a second and then bounce back to the first scene and just kind of do that almost like a light flickering back and forth before it goes sure. to the other scene. And there's a movie I've seen that in before. And I remember when I saw it, I loved it in this movie. Um, and uh, I loved it so much. I even I sent it to my editor now at the time. And I was like, well, we should do this. And I, <laughs> we didn't. And I've never seen anybody do it until Ty West does. But it is uh, the movie uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, um, which hmm. is uh, directed by Sidney Lumet. And when I was watching um, this movie, I thought of that movie immediately. Uh, how Lumet does is he actually does like a sound effect that goes with it. So when it goes back, forth, back, forth, there's actually like a boom, boom, boom that hits when he does it. Yeah, and yeah. I, I was like, you know, I've seen this, but there's no way that Ty West uh, got it from there. But then I remember that Sidney Lumet is kind of in that PTA world uh, where Anderson is a huge fan uh, of Lumet. And um, Philip Seymour Hoffman is the lead actor in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. And I was like, this kind of is in that world, too. And as I kind of watched um, uh, Exmoor and I saw how much Boogie Nights was happening here, I was like, I bet Ty West is just a huge Paul Thomas Anderson stan. Sure, <laughs> and sure. I would not be surprised if he kind of follows um, the lineage of what Anderson, what has influenced Anderson, which would include Lumet. And if that's the case, I would not be a surprise at all if Wes turned out to be a fan of Lumet and a fan of this movie. And I became, by the end, I was convinced that's where he got it from. So That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. That, that's good. I I forgot that it had edits like that in that movie. Because that's a great movie. I, I haven't seen it yeah. since it first came out. But um, yeah, I forgot that it had those edits. And that is really interesting. And I, 
I'd be really curious to just hear like a long form interview with him about like, you know, intention and all that, because mm -hmm. yeah, it is, it is an interesting choice and I love the split screen. I mean, the stuff with the alligator, I mean, it's that whole sequence oh, is so cool. Like that was incredible. He did, this wasn't with editing, it was with um, shooting, but he did some uh, great things I loved where he would show us the threat um, of what was coming before the characters realized it or before a scare came of it. But he would do it in this way where it wouldn't be a cut, but it would be like a tilt of the camera. And he did it mm. with the alligator. There's one time where it's just, the camera is uh, on Britney Snow in the water and it just slowly moves over to yeah. the alligator. And I liked yeah. it where it was almost like he was taking the audience's head like by their chin and just moving it over to what they needed <laughs> to see. And he does it later uh, when the executive producer is in the barn where he tilts our head down to see the nail on the ground. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's almost like, I'm not going to try. There's no jump scare. There's nothing else. I'm just going to slowly show you what's coming. Yeah. And uh, there, there are so many confident decisions he made in this movie. That's the one thing I love the most about this movie is it's so confident. Like, uh, it's such a, it, it's such a, a movie. It's such a deliberately confidently paced movie. And he knew what he was doing and he knew how good the drama was in the beginning. I've heard some people say that they don't like how long it takes to get to the horror, but I, um, loved it. Um, I hear a lot of, um, horror filmmakers who say that a great horror has to be a great drama first, which is true to an extent, but, mm -hmm. A lot of horror movies, the drama in them can't sustain like a full drama. So it's not like they're making like Moonlight or they're making, um, uh, you know, Call Me By Your Name and it turns into a horror. Mm -hmm. They're making movies that need the horror. But this was a movie where I was like this, the drama in this is great. Like, like, like with, with the sound girl, when she wants to get involved with the porn and her boyfriend, the director, has to film it. I was like, this could be the movie right here. The I after know, effects right? of what happens could be the movie and I would be completely happy with it. This is truly one of the movies that is as good of a drama if it wanted to be a drama and ditch the horror parts. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. And and I think a lot of that goes to some really fantastic performances like all around. I mean, Mia Goth is just turning them in one after another, just always something weird and interesting and unique. And she is just so great here. But everyone else, Jenny Ortega is having such a, such a year and Britney Snow She's got is such great. such a scream. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's no wonder they, uh, they rested the, the trailer on, on that. And then of course the, the, the cops saying it's a fucked up horror movie or whatever. <laughs> Those yeah. are like the two big, uh, the b selling points, I guess. But, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, she, she's great. But, um, Mia Goth is so interesting looking too. Cause she's like, Oh, I know attractive and scary and, she, and so i saw someone on twitter say she has an 824 face which <laughs> yeah. i think is perfect <laughs> yeah i remember back when high life came out i think i tweeted that like i want to see her just do like a 90s romantic comedy like just yeah. straight up like it would make no sense with her like it would just be so weird but, yeah uh, yeah <laughs> so uh i'm out of pieces do you have any other pieces you wanted to bring up you know, um, th these are just minor ones. One of them uh, with Mia Goth is the um, remake to Suspiria, just in the way that Tilda Swinton played two characters. I kind of thought sure, about that. Sure, sure. Um, the other thing is just, it's less for this movie per se, um, but it's uh, more just for Ty West's whole career, which kind of follows us. West has, he's got that formula where he does build up, build up, build up, and then explosion of horror. And sometimes mm. he does it differently. Uh, something like um, House of the Devil is a 
um, build up for a very long time and then the horror hits and then sometimes he brings it in a little bit the horror a little bit earlier but uh, a movie that at least when I first saw House of the Devil that really reminded me of that formula and who I felt like at the time he got it from was uh, Takeshi Miki with um, Audition um, okay. uh, have you seen Audition? I haven't no okay Audition Audition is great. I mean, I just uh, ruined that it's going to turn into a horror movie for you. But if you ever watch it with somebody, don't tell them it's a horror movie because that movie is pretty unidentifiable as a horror movie until it becomes horror. And then when it oh, becomes wow. horror, it's absolutely scary. And I feel like Audition is a puzzle piece for his whole career. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, for that like long buildup and not knowing at all what's going to happen. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, uh, I'll go ahead and do the finished puzzle and go down the list of everything we just talked about. So for X, we have Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Boogie Nights. Of course, those had to be the first two. Then we talked about Psycho, Dolomite is my name, Rabid, Dead Dudes in the House, The Shining, Censor, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, Suspiria, and Audition. So uh, yeah, I, I think that there's like, it almost feels like there's a lot that we didn't even get into that much just because there's like a lot going on here but uh, mm -hmm. are there any closing thoughts anything like specific you wanted to bring up that we didn't quite get to with the pieces um okay one thing that i would uh, say this is a point i was also going to make about boogie nights is is the whole like relationship between um um the repressed and the free the sexually free and how boogie nights even though he was in a world that was stigmatized when it was juxtaposed to a more conservative world it was the more repressed world was viewed more violently and more mm. angrily and i really think of the scene in boogie nights where the pickup truck of guys come and beat up mark Wahlberg, beat, beat up dirk diggler after he's kind of been kicked out of the porn world and it's kind yeah. of it's kind of like viewed as this way that he's been ostracized from the quote-unquote um stigmatized or the quote-unquote immoral sexual part of society and he's in the more repressed part but things are actually worse and more violent and more dangerous and i kind of like you know i had that feeling just to kind of focus on that that i i you know he is like making that point about how you know the immoral side is actually the safer the more enlightened part and i don't know i just think there's a lot of ideas and i guess my my final thought is what i love the best what west did is the conversations I'm going to have about this movie for years reminds me of the conversations that I've had about Texas Chainsaw Massacre for years. Because Ch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, is kind of viewed as this nasty little horror movie, but there's so much stuff going on there. You, sure. There, there's stuff about, like, you know, s small business people being put out by in, in bigger conglomerates. Um, mm -hmm. there, there's things about the, the kind of, like... Uh, feel of, of Nixonian politics in America, you can have all kinds of discussions. And since Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there's been all these um, filmmakers, people like Rob Zombie, who have made movies that have only focused on the violence, the aesthetics, the, um, the carnage, but they've missed like the thoughts that Ho Hooper was putting into it. Sure. Um, to Toby Hooper was a very smart, very intellectual, very political person. And I feel like West made a movie that was influenced by it but he knew to put the ideas in there too and i think because of that that's this movie is going to be the um i don't know even more so than the texas chainsaw massacre sequel remake that came out this year i think right. this is going to be um the true successor in the fact that he 
got the spirit of what Hooper was doing and made a movie that that hated honor. No, I, I think that's a great note to go out on because, yeah, absolutely, especially in a year where we just got this new take on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, I, I think a lot of these movies whether it be within the actual series or just movies that are clearly influenced by the, the original Texas Chainsaw, they're missing all of all those layers and uh, mm-hmm. just focus on just the brutality of it all, which can make for a fun movie, sure. But uh, there's definitely a lot more here to, uh, to kind of sink your teeth into. And I guess the only other thing I would mention, you know, we, we brought it up once already, but um, this prequel that uh, they shot in tandem with X uh, called Pearl, it's going to be really interesting to see when that comes out and see even more so than its own thing, but just how the overall story is changed. Because you got to imagine if we're going to be seeing the Pearl character, uh, you know, I don't know if it's 30, 40, 50, 60 years earlier, whatever it is, it's supposed to be her when she's younger. I'm assuming Mia Goth, uh, you know, without all kinds of prosthetic makeup on. Uh it's going to be really interesting to see how that changes the actions of the character in this movie and, and how it all kind of works together as an overall story. So yeah, I'm I'm just really looking forward to that and seeing how, how that turns out. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited for any Ty West movie, but that sounds awesome to stay in this world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, awesome. Uh, Paul, to wrap this thing up, is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? You know, um, what I watched recently, it's a movie I'm sure everyone has seen. It's a, and I haven't seen in like 20 years, but it's uh, Christine, the uh, Carpenter, mm. John Carpenter, um, Stephen King uh, movie. And I was kind of unfair in that movie for years because I uh, looked at it as Lesser Carpenter. And mm-hmm. I looked at it as just sort of like a very um, simple story about a car coming to life and, and killing people. And watching it, I realized just how much more was going on about there, how much was being said about toxic masculinity in it, how it kind of mm-hmm. had this like Carrie um, uh, thing going for it where, where it was a sympathetic um, villain. And I, I I was just blown away. Like, like I remember watching it and being like, this is jumped to the top of my favorite Carpenter movies now. Nice, uh, nice. It's the last thing I watched. I haven't seen that in forever either, but every October I watch at least two or three Carpenter movies, so I think maybe it's time this year to finally rewatch that one. Yeah, I, I think at least you will um, appreciate it more than memory might serve. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Uh, well, Paul, why don't you tell people where they could find uh, you and your film and uh, everything else you're up to? Sure. Uh, I mean, just find me on Letterboxd. That's the only social media app I put any thought in anything I say. Um, so just find me. My name Paul Hibbard, H-I-B-B-A-R-D. And I'll, I post things on there about my film also, so you can keep up with my film on there. And if, if I can promote this, if there's any uh, listeners in the St. Louis Midwest area on April 30th, we're doing a charity screening of the 1977 classic Japanese film House. And we're doing it at a local theater called Arkaden, and all of the proceeds go to a charity called Tenth Life, which helps disabled uh, and special needs cats. So uh, come out. I'll be there. I'll be presenting. We're going to have Tenth Life people there. They're going to have kittens. So if you want to come just play with the cats and donate money, you can do that. But you should stick around for house because it's a great movie. Oh, that's awesome. That, that sounds like a really great event. Um, and uh, yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, Paul, for uh, joining me. And hopefully we can get you back again sometime. Yeah, I would love to do it. Thanks for having me.
Check out the Sonic Cinema Podcast, where film critic Brian Scuttle takes you through the year discussing classic film, reviewing modern hits and misses, covering film festivals, and interviewing filmmakers and film critics. Click subscribe at YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Google, and other platforms, or follow along at www.sonic-cinema.com. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about X. Thanks to Paul for joining me on that one. And uh, thank you to you for listening. Uh, If you enjoy what we do here on the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, a five-star rating and review would be very nice. So you could do that over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Good Pods or on Podchaser. And there's probably some other apps that you could do it on. Whichever one you like to use hit the five stars, and we do appreciate that. You can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join in in the conversation. As a matter of fact, uh, Jason over at Binge Movies reminded me to uh, include M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit as a puzzle piece, and so shout out to Jason. Uh, I did have it on my overall list of things that I might bring up. I didn't end up bringing up in the conversation, but thanks for the reminder, and definitely... uh, that is another movie about creepy old people, so definitely it, it, it deserves to be here. So, uh, yeah, get in touch with me on social media at PiecingPod. You can also join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. I told you about our Produced by David Rosen Patreon at the top of the show. Don't forget about that. It's patreon.com slash Rosen. I'll be posting some new music stuff on there next week. And speaking of my music... Uh, Let's go out with a piece of it, and uh, this being a horror movie, I'm going to go with a piece from a horror short film that I scored called Daisy. This is a track called Daisy, and uh, this was part of the compilation album I put out a couple years ago called Beater. It was a uh, feature film score for a film called Beater, as well as some short film scores uh, from the same director, Chris Johnson. So uh, I thought this would be a good fit for uh, for this film. It's horror, it's creepy, it's weird, and uh, Daisy is kind of a old lady name, right? So yeah, fits in a, a number of ways here. So this is Daisy. It's on my album Beater, original motion picture soundtrack. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more piecing it together real soon. <laughs>
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.